All right, we are in Romans chapter 16 this morning. Romans chapter 16. I commend to you, this is God's word, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Kincrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponius, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asinicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. <clears throat> but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Tertius is Paul's scribe. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. Now to him who is able to strengthen and according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you for the book of Romans and everything it has meant to me and to us. Uh, thank you for this conclusion. I pray that you would uh, use it to edify us and strengthen us and increase our love for you and for one another. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes when I'm talking to somebody on the phone, as we're getting ready to get off the line, they'll say something along the lines of, say hello to Susan for me. Give Susan our best, give Susan our love, something along those lines. 
Romans 16 feels like the Apostle Paul is doing that over and over and over. Tell Mary I said hello, and tell Andronicus I said hey, and give my love to Ampliatus, and tell Rufus we've been thinking about him, and tell him to say hello to his mama and them. And this goes on for 16 verses. What am I supposed to say about that? I was thinking about it. It's like, I don't know what to do with that. And so ordinarily in a situation like this in the book of Romans, when I don't know what, don't know what to say, I would consult Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, if you don't know who Martin Lloyd-Jones was, he was a Welsh pastor. Um, he preached... 366 sermons over 12 years on the book of Romans. All right, so when you complain about my little measly 33 sermons in Romans, uh, but when you go to Martin Lloyd-Jones' 14-volume set, which I have on my office of his 366 sermons preached over 12 years, and you go to get some help on Romans 16, what you will find is that Martin Lloyd-Jones stopped preaching on Romans after chapter 14, verse 7. And I saw that, and I thought, well, I don't feel so bad about not having anything to say now. Evidently, he just gave up on the whole thing. But then I was talking to somebody recently, and they said, you know why he quit preaching after chapter 14, verse 7, don't you? I said, no. Do you know why? He died. <laughs> Even God thought 366 sermons was too many sermons <laughs> on the book of Romans. Just, just kidding. But, um, what, so what do we say about this? If Martin Lloyd-Jones is of no help, what do we gather from Paul's uh, serenara to the, to the Roman church of, of, of his letter? Uh, Romans 16, I think, reminds us as we parse, it out, parse this out of, of what the church is supposed to be all about. It reminds us of what the church is supposed to be all about. And what I want us to see as we look at this is that the church... Uh, is about three things. It's about people, it's about doctrine, and it's about worship. People and doctrine and worship. First of all, the church is about people. Uh, when I was a campus minister at Appalachian State, they would give parking passes to campus ministers so that we could park on campus. And the first three or four years I was a campus minister, they actually charged faculty $300 a year for the privilege of parking where they worked, and they gave campus ministers passes for free, even though we were not employed by the university. Um, not sure how they felt about that. But the passes that they gave us were vendor passes. Now, a vendor pass is a pass like the pass they would give the guy driving the Coke truck when he was making a delivery to App State so that he could park pretty much wherever he wanted to. That's the parking pass that we have. And we were kind of amused about the fact that we had vendor passes. And so some, at some point, one of the campus ministers asked the university administration, why do y'all give us vendor passes? And the answer they got was, well, I guess it's because y'all are selling Jesus. And, you know, I don't usually think of myself as selling Jesus. But sometimes when you're in ministry, you can begin to feel like part of your job description job description is to sell people a religious experience. Uh, because in American Christianity, I, I think all of us, myself included, can get caught up in a very consumeristic view of the church. 
I mean, that's what we are. We're consumers, right? That's how we define ourselves. We go to QT to get gas and donuts with sprinkles on them and, and everything else under the sun. And we go to Hub City Scoops for ice cream. And we go to Spotify to get our music. And we go to football games and concerts to be entertained. And then we go to church to consume a religious experience. And just like there are playlists on Spotify and Apple Music for every taste, rock, pop, R&B, Latin, whatever, there are churches to fit every taste as well. And so church can be just one of many consumer experiences that we go through in our culture where we find the church that fits our taste and then we go and we get the religious goods that are being offered there and then we go back home and we go about our business. But what chapter 16 shows us, I believe, with this list of 26 different people is that the church is about more than that. The church is about much more than that. The church is about community. The church is about relationships. The church is about people, knowing one another, loving one another, serving one another. The church is about women like Phoebe, who served the church, possibly by bringing this letter for Paul to Rome. Uh, Phoebe is called a patron of many, which means she was probably a woman of high social standing and wealth who used her financial resources to support Paul in his work and others in the church in their work as well. The church is about couples like Prissa, which is probably a shortened form of Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila, who in Acts 18 instructed Apollos in the faith, and we are told here, risk their lives for Paul. The church is about men like Epinatus, the first convert in Asia. The church is about Ampelatus and Urbanus and Tryphena and Tryphosa, who were likely slaves or freedmen or freedwomen. The church is about people who belong to the family of Aristobulus, who we think probably wasn't a believer, but many of the servants and family members of his household were. The church is about men like Rufus, who may have been the son of Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross for Jesus. The church is about people who practice hospitality and use their resources to allow whole groups of people to meet in their homes. The church is about people of different races, different classes, different occupations, different genders, who are all connected to one another in spite of their differences because of their common faith in Jesus. The church is a place of belonging. The church is a place of welcome. It's a place to know and to be known. It's a place to love and be loved. And so I want to press you this morning to move beyond thinking of the church as a religious experience to be consumed on Sunday mornings and start thinking of the church as a people, a community to which you and I are called to belong. And I want you to ask yourself, what would it look like for me to really belong to this community? What would it look like for my life to get caught up in the lives of these other people who call Grace Presbyterian Church home? Uh, that might look like getting out of your comfort zone and doing something a little awkward and inviting somebody to go get coffee with you. It might mean risking showing up at a men's night or a women's Bible study where you're not sure who's going to be there and you're not sure how comfortable 
it's going to fill. It might mean making community group a priority in the life of your family. It might mean marking the calendar and saying, somehow, come hell or high water, every Monday night we're going to have somebody from the church over to our home. The church is a place of belonging. But the church is also a place to serve. One of the things that, that comes out throughout, scattered throughout this list is the way that these different people serve the church. They're workers in the Lord. They risk their necks. They open their homes for the purpose of advancing the cause of the kingdom. The church is about people like Philip Swicegood, who faithfully reaches out to the men of Jumpstart. The church is about women like Trisha O'Donnell, Tisha O'Donnell, who has taught children Sunday school faithfully for longer than Martin Lloyd-Jones preached on Romans. The church is about men like Thomas White, who do a thousand things behind the scenes that help us so much as a church that you never see. The church is about men like Keith Groover, who faithfully has led us in worship and coordinated volunteers and helped them to lead us in worship week after week for 10 years. The church is about those who use the means God has given them, and you never know about this, but they give generously financially. They practice hospitality. They open their homes. Um, Scott Sauls tells the story of a wealthy gentleman in his church who really got passionate about church planting. He decided he was going to quit his job and go to seminary and plant a church. And Scott Sauls said, do you know how many churches we can plant with the money you make from your current job? You You don't need to do that. You don't need to go plant a church to advance the kingdom. You can advance the kingdom through the work you're doing and through the generosity you practice. And so that's what he did. He served the church in that way. The church is about prayer warriors whose contribution is seriously undervalued. The church is about nursery workers. And so we should be thankful for all of these people, seen and unseen, who faithfully serve week after week. But we also should be asking, well, where can I serve? What are, what are the gifts that God has given me? What part do I have to play? The church is about belonging. The church is about serving because the church is about people. But then we see here the church is also about doctrine. Look in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul calls the church the pillar and the foundation of the truth. In 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul tells Timothy to guard the good deposit instructed to you, entrusted to you, sorry. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. It matters whether or not Jesus ever sinned. It matters whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. It matters whether or not Jesus was a substitute for you or just a good example. Is justification by faith alone, or is is that true, or do I need to contribute something to assure my salvation? Sanctification, that process of becoming like Jesus, how does that actually work? Is God triune, or was there a time when God was lonely? Are we created in God's image? Are we simply products of time and chance. What happens when we die? 
Doctrine matters. Now, is every doctrinal issue an issue to die on? No. Do Christians get carried away and spend a lot of time fighting about things that aren't the main thing? Yes, we do that. And so we can tend to overreact to that and say, well, look, all that really matters is that you love Jesus. Okay, yeah, but, but who is this Jesus I'm supposed to love? And what did he do? And why should you love him? And what does it look like to love him? Doctrine matters. N- nobody says in the field of chemistry, the doctrine of, of how chemistry works, that doesn't matter. Nobody says that doctrine doesn't matter in economics. Nobody says that doctrine doesn't matter in auto mechanics. Imagine if you went to your auto mechanic and said, look, I need to know what weight of oil and how often to change my oil uh, in, in this car and how much should go in it. Like, is it four quarts? Is it six quarts? Or is it six gallons? I always get those mixed up. What, what am I supposed to do here? And the mechanic looked at you and he said to you, it doesn't matter. Just love your car. Just, just love your car. You change it when you want to change it. You change it whenever you feel like it. In fact, if you want to put lemonade in it instead of oil, you go right ahead and put lemonade in it. Oil is just a construct forced on you by automakers. <laughs> All right? You just love your car. See, the, 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 the doctrine of auto mechanics matters. The doctrine of Christianity matters. The church is about doctrine, and so you should pay attention to doctrine. You should be asking yourself, hey, is, is, is what Grace Presbyterian Church is saying, does that actually, does the doctrine they're proclaiming, does that actually line up with the scriptures? Uh, or are you using the catechism question that we give every week, a little summary of doctrine? That's something you can use with yourself and your family to, to train yourself and your family in doctrine. Are you taking the time to think about what you believe and why you believe it? You know, one of the things I think we should be thankful for in our denomination, while we we certainly can go overboard uh, at times about this, we are making an honest effort to guard the good deposit entrusted to us and to pass that down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. What we've talked about in Romans, what Paul has talked about, justification, sanctification, glorification, union with Christ, the gospel, that's all doctrine. And Paul says, watch out for anything contrary to this doctrine. The church is about doctrine. And then finally, the church is about worship. Look at verse 25 again. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to read a section of... um, a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's from his book on the Psalms. And he starts this way. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers praising their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. 
Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? The psalmist, in telling everyone to praise God, are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what we indeed can't help doing about everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Uh, Saturday morning, our son Jack, who is up at Camp Greystone, up near Hendersonville in that area for a retreat with RUF, sent us a picture of a mountain beside a lake with a reflection of the mountain you could see in the lake. It was early morning. is a, a beautiful picture. What was he doing in that picture? He was praising the lake. He was praising the view. He was praising that mountain. And in texting us that picture, he was inviting us to praise that with him, and he was completing his own enjoyment of it. A few minutes later, my son Will, who is a Junior at Clemson sent a text that said, it's game day. Now, you need to know a little context for this. Um, Will had to miss the Clemson-Georgia game last week because he was quarantined with COVID. And so this was the first football game he was going to get to go to where everybody was in attendance in two years. What was he doing? He was praising his team. He was praising the whole game day experience. And in texting us, He was inviting us into that praise, and he was completing his own enjoyment. At the end of Romans, Paul is inviting us into his praise of God, and he's completing his own enjoyment of that. He spent the whole book of Romans laying out why we need the gospel, that we are broken and sinful people living in a broken and sinful world, estranged from God. He spent the whole book laying out the truth of the gospel, how we are made right with God, not through our works, but through faith in the finished and complete work of Jesus Christ. 
He's spent time laying out the results of the gospel, how we are now forgiven and loved, sons and daughters of the king, and how one day we will be made fully whole and everything sad will come undone and everything will be right. And he's laid out the call of the gospel, calling us to join with him in spreading this good news and in living it out. And now at the end of Romans 16, he sends us a text. And he says, it's game day. Would you look at God? Would you look at what God has done? And would you join me in praising him? Y'all, the church is a group of people united by a common faith who work out that faith every day of the week, caring for one another, supporting one another. And then one day a week, we all come together and we say, it's game day. Would you look at what God has done? And you know what, team, if I can call you team, in the midst of everything that is so hard about this present moment that we're living in, we're going to win. We can know that we're going to win because what does Paul say here? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's all going to be okay. If you're not already a part of the church, I invite you to come to Jesus and receive the forgiveness that he offers and come and be a part of this thing called the church that is about doctrine and people and worship and Jesus and that is certainly going to win. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gospel and the truth of the gospel. Thank you for these people you've gathered here. Thank you that we can know that we indeed are going to win because you have won. And thank you that we can now worship and praise you. Would you help us to see you as you are and to enjoy you for who you are so that we may praise you more. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.